0: good morning to you all good it's really good to see so many people here this morning thank you all very much for coming out to be here with us if you are a visitor my name is Pip and I'm one of the, the pastoral leaders here in the church and it's just lovely to have you here with us there's a story of a, a salesman who was going around wrapping doors trying to sell his product and he he came to a particular house and on the fence outside the house there's a little boy sitting there swinging his legs and and he asked the boy son is your is your mum home and the boy said yes yes so she went he went up to the door wrapped the door and there was no answer so he, he wrapped the door a little bit louder because he thought maybe she's out the back of the house or something and still there was no answer. But because he rapped the door so loudly, he alerted a dog. And this dog ran around the side of the house to him. And the man loved dogs. And he said to the little boy, son, does your dog bite? We fell said, no. So he went over to pat the dog and the dog bit him. And he was going, what is going on here? So he walked over to the boy and said, son, I asked you, was your mom home when you said... Yes, and she, was, and she isn't in the house. You say, does this, uh, your, your dog, does it bite? You say, no. What's going on? He said, that's not my house and that's not my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, it's a lovely little story about a man who asked the wrong person the wrong questions. And we're going to continue on our, our series today, Encounters with Jesus, by thinking about a man who asked the right person the right questions, and we'll see how it all all worked out. So, if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Matthew or uh, Mark, chapter ten. Mark, chapter ten, and we're going to start reading from verse seventeen. As you look that up, just remind us all again what we did in the first week of this series. that Jesus Christ is a, a fascinatingly unique person, and everywhere he went when he was on this planet. People reacted to their encounter with him in different ways. Some people worshipped him. Some people hated him. Some people ignored him and some rejected him. And the the incredible thing about Jesus is that 2,000 years later, people still respond to him in exactly the same ways. So let's think about what we can learn from today's encounter. Just out of interest, this particular story, The Rich Young Ruler, it's recorded in three of the four Gospels. And this is an important point I want to make that can help us as we study Scripture. Usually, when a story is in more than one of the Gospels, it's there because of the importance of its message. And when we look at the Scriptures, when we read a story like this, it's really important to read the parallel accounts. Because what happens when we do that is we get the fuller picture of the story, and it also helps us when we come to some of those complicated texts that are difficult to understand, it can help us as we seek to appreciate it. So what I'll do during this talk is I will refer to the accounts in Matthew 19 and Luke 18 because they help us get the bigger picture. So let's read Mark chapter 10, and as we always remind ourselves, this is the inspired and the authoritative word of God. Verse 17. Now, as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the man answered and and said to Jesus, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, in one thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Amen. And we know God will add his blessing to that reading from his word. I just find this a fabulous interesting story, and it all seemed to have a a very good start. Everything seemed to start really well. This young man seemed to have an awful lot going for him. When we read the three accounts, we pick up the picture that the man was described as being rich, and he was rich in a number of different ways. He was certainly rich in monetary terms, but he was also, it also seemed that he was rich morally, and he was certainly rich in influence, Luke chapter 18 describes him as a ruler and commentators say that more than likely he was a ruler in the synagogue, not a, a Pharisee or anything like that, just a wealthy layman who had position, power and, and influence. You know, if you were looking to employ someone today and, and, and if this guy applied, he would certainly be top of your, your short list. He also seemed to have everything together in the way that he approached Jesus Firstly, he ran to Jesus, which is important. We we can often miss so many things in the scriptures because we live in a different culture. And this is one of those occasions. The man ran to Jesus. And the point here is men of influence in the Middle East do not run, (laughs) Men of influence in the Middle East do not run because it would be seen as degrading and humiliating for them to have to do so. When Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, I can almost hear the gasps of people when he said about the father figure running to meet the son, humiliating himself to run and meet the son because father figures were so revered in that culture and also had great influence and here is someone who had tremendous influence running to Jesus and I reckon that's why when you read Matthew's account he starts saying now behold because this was just so unusual a thing to see it was a startling scene so in running to Jesus the man degrades himself he also shows eagerness and urgency he knelt before Jesus and in doing so he adopts a posture of humility. He was respectful. He says, good teacher. He had plenty of courage. He, he asked his question in and, and full view of the public. This was, wasn't like Nicodemus you know, hiding away at night going to see Jesus in the, at nighttime because he didn't want people to see him. This man had the courage to openly and publicly Run to Jesus, kneel before him and ask the right question. And he was also a wise and a discerning young man too in that he asked the right person about eternity. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, it describes Jesus as the son of God and eternal life. So the wise, discerning young man asks the right person the right question question. Everything seemed right in many ways. If that man came into church today, we would think he's ripe harvest. We would say, let's pray with him quickly. Here's somebody who wants to become a Christian, and we would all celebrate we've got another convert into the kingdom. Do you know, there are lots of wealthy, religious, and morally respectable people who will gather in churches up and down this country today but the difference between many of them and this young man is that he was so all together that he knew he wasn't all together. He was so all together that he knew he wasn't all together. He knew something was missing. And on the surface, everything seemed right. But this story is in three of the gospels because Jesus' response goes deeper than the surface to reveal a fundamental flaw. And the central point of this story for me is that this man had an incorrect understanding of goodness. This man had an incorrect understanding of goodness. This man thought he was good. There's no doubt about that. He was doing well economically and religiously. People probably looking on, including the disciples, probably thought this guy was doing really good too. But Jesus used his comment, good teacher, to start to reveal and highlight this man's incorrect understanding of God's goodness and his own goodness. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? I reckon Jesus said that because he was saying to the man, you don't even know who I am. Why do you call me good? Have you such a flippant concept of goodness that you just go around calling everybody you don't know good or that you look at people and think they're morally respectable like yourself and you go around calling them good? Why do you call me good? Jesus is starting to home in on the big problem, the big issue here. And he's doing that by putting this man's concept of goodness under the microscope. You know, if I, if I take a pin and look at it, the pin will look it'll look perfect, it'll look shiny, it'll look stainless and all of those sort of things. But put it under a microscope and I'll see that it's all misshaped. It's all misshaped. And Jesus started to do this with the man's understanding of goodness. He put it under the microscope of God And he put it under the microscope of the law to show that it was misshaped. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now Jesus was not denying his deity there. He was just using a focus question to connect the man with real goodness. And in that highlight the man's lack of it. Jesus was using a focused question to connect this man with real goodness and in that highlight his lack of it. Only God is good. That's proper theology. That's proper theology. Now, of course, there's goodness in in, in all people because we're made in God's image. But theologically, and when we think of eternity, there's only one who can be described as good, and that is God. The doctrine of goodness in Scripture is not a shallow thing that relates to a few acts of kindness that people might do. It is an absolute truth that relates only to God. Goodness speaks about the righteousness and the holiness of God. Psalm 15 verse three says, there is no one good, not one, because only pure goodness can be related to God. And in the light of God, no one is good. Jesus started to correct the man's theology by highlighting God's goodness. And then he further tries to help the man by putting his sense of goodness under the microscope of Old Testament law to show he was wrong and flawed in his thinking. In Matthew 19, Jesus said to him, Only God is good. If you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. He homes in on the law. And he went to the Old Testament law because it is like a microscope in that it highlights for us Who we really are. The law is good and holy because God gave it and only he is good and holy. But what it should do is highlight for us that we are not and that we are flawed. We're not good in comparison. We're sinners and we need to throw ourselves on the mercy of God and the goodness of God and Jesus. Jesus said, you want life. Keep the commandments. Now, that should have been enough for this guy to turn around and say, That's impossible. But no. In fact, if you read Matthew 19, you see the guy turned around to Jesus and he said, Which ones? Which ones? This guy had such confidence in himself and he was so proud of his own goodness that he turned to Jesus when he should have been crying out for mercy. He said, Which ones? Jesus then takes him to certain commandments. Now, we'll probably know that the commandments were written in two tables. And the second table has six commandments that relate deal with how we relate to each other. Jesus goes straight to the second part of the law. And he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, and so on. Again, that should have been enough for the guy to turn around and say, God, I, 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 I can't do that, it's impossible. No, he was still convinced of his goodness And he turned to Jesus and said, I've kept all of them. I've kept all of them from my youth. Oh, pride is a horrible thing. And how often it can keep people from God. It is clear this man had a superficial view of the law. Jesus revealed the depth of the law in the sermon on the mount by saying, you've heard it, About murder, I'm actually saying if you're angry with someone, you're guilty. Adultery, if you even have thoughts in your head, you are guilty, and so on. But this guy had such a superficial view of the law, it must have been more more than a box-ticking exercise for him. This should have been the microscope that highlighted his lack of goodness, but he completely missed it. He thought, I'm good, I've been doing all this from my youth. If you notice, Jesus didn't even try to take him to the Sermon on the Mount and repeat that to him or debate the man's shallowness or actually highlight to him, son, you actually break the law every day of your life. He actually just went for the jugular. He went for the jugular. Okay. It's almost like Jesus is thinking this in his head. Okay, you think you're good enough to keep the commandments? Right. Let's get serious. Let's go to the first one. What's the first commandment? Have no gods before me, right? Go you and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Boom. Go you and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, just for clarity here, Jesus was not saying that salvation can come through works, i.e. sell everything you have and you're in the kingdom. He's not saying that we have to give up all our wealth in order to follow him. He's not saying that money is bad. In fact, some of the great old patriarchs in the, the, the Old Testament were some of the wealthiest people on the planet and saying that we do need to have a correct theology of money and we do need to have a correct theology of how we approach poverty and seek to deal with that. But Jesus said this uh, in order to get to the heart of the problem, which is the man's concept of goodness. Only God is good and you're not good in comparison. If you want eternal life, see your God. See your God of money that you worship, give it up. Give it over to the goodness of God and come and follow me. Jesus now reveals who he is. And he says, take up your cross, son, and follow me. The Bible says that Jesus loved this man. It's a beautiful picture. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. How would we have answered this man's questions? I think we would have tried to get a quick conversion. And there's another stat for the church to put in a prayer letter or celebrate. Jesus didn't do anything of the such. He calls this man to a place of surrender. Only God is good. Now, this guy, he's climbing up the ladder. He's thinking, I'm doing great in my life. What do I need to do? Maybe one more run and I'm in the kingdom. And Jesus blows it all apart. He says, Son, you're on the wrong ladder. You're on the wrong path. You're on the wrong road. It's not going to work. One thing you lack, but in that one thing, the man lacked everything. One thing you lack. What must I do? No. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Why? Because you're not good enough. You need to throw yourself on the goodness of God and I'm the only one who can help you do that. Follow me. Wow. Put me first. Friend, you might have the greatest estate in the neighborhood. Everybody might respect you, but you need to stop and you need to give it all up and you need to follow me. Put me first. Start building treasure for heaven Start having a different focus in your life. Matthew 6, 19, Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Build for eternity. Are you ready to put me first? What's it to be, friend? He loved this man. What is it to be your God with a small g or the God with a capital G? Treasure here or treasure there? Temporary reward or eternal reward? Your own will or God's will? What's it to be? He's calling him to a place of surrender. Of realization that his goodness isn't going to cut it. He needs the goodness of God. Don't forget when Jesus said this, he was on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 32 tells us that, to Jerusalem where he would be crucified. That's the context here. This man wanted eternal life, but not enough to give up his gods of possession and pride. How alarming this is. What incredible news for all of us today. You can get yourself together morally, religiously, economically. We can run to Jesus. We can bow before Jesus. We can even humbly admit we need Jesus and still be outside the kingdom. Bible says the man went away sad. The word is better translated grieved. How much he loved his money and his possessions. He wasn't prepared to count the cost. It is tragic that someone can run to Jesus and walk away sad. It blows my mind away. That someone can run to Jesus and walk away sad. Here is a story about a man encountering Jesus. He had a skewed understanding of God's goodness and his own. He thought his goodness could get him eternal life. What else do I need to do? But the real response in the light of real goodness should have been surrender, giving up all the efforts. And God's to say, I need you, God, in my life. However, he wouldn't do it. So what can we take from this encounter today? Well, First of all, you might be here today and you're a little bit like the rich young ruler. You may or you may not be rich. That's irrelevant. But you might be religiously minded and then you come to church. You might be, think you're morally good and think your goodness is, is enough. It's going to get you in the kingdom. no. What this story actually reveals to us is you're climbing the wrong ladder. You're going in the wrong direction because there's nothing in you or in any of us for that matter that can ever be good enough to get us into the kingdom. What you need to do is get over your pride, which can be a very difficult thing. And you need to surrender. The goodness of God is so perfect so perfectly displayed at the cross where Jesus did for you and for me what we cannot do for ourselves. He made the way open so that we can find forgiveness, that we can find love, that we can find a relationship with God that transforms everything. It transforms our our lives. It transforms our eternity. Jesus called the man to a place of surrender and realization you can't do this on your own he calls you with the same message how will you respond today if you're not a Christian is there sadness in your heart is there sadness in your heart because there's a God in your life with a small g someone you love or something you have or something you love to do that you couldn't give up or you feel you couldn't give up please don't walk away from God's goodness sad friend Please don't walk away from God's goodness sad because see that very thing that you feel you cannot give up, that's the very thing that's binding and holding your life back and you'll never find freedom in your life till you sacrifice and give that thing over to God and see the thing that you feel you can't give up, here's the crack. See when you come to God and you give everything to him, he'll put new desires in your heart and that very thing will be the very thing you don't want to keep doing. There's a great hope for you today. Don't let Satan whisper that you can't give this up. Don't walk away from God's goodness sad today. Surrender. Open your heart to him. Give everything to him and follow him. But there's also a really huge challenge in this message today for the church. You see, when we understand the goodness of God, the power of the goodness of God, we realize afresh that we need to keep giving everything up to him. We need to keep following him because it's so easy in our lives as Christians to get every sort of different God into our lives and have it take first place. The goodness of God, folks, demands, demands our allegiance demands our loyalty, demands our exclusive attention and worship. Yes, grace is free, absolutely, wonderful, it's free. But the paradox here is this, whilst grace is free, there is a cost. But what grace should do is it should bring us to a place where we want to count the cost freely and wonderfully and liberally in our lives. We want to count the cost. Jesus does not want to play second fiddle in our hearts and in our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He wants to reign in our hearts. Jesus said to this man, and now to us afresh, take up your cross and follow me. In the final few minutes that we'll have here together, let's think about what Jesus means when he challenges us to take up our cross and follow him. Remember when he said this, he was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to the cross. He had set his mind and he was focused on what he had to do. What does it mean? Yes, take up your cross. It can mean the suffering and the pain that we can endure as Christians. But for me, there is a word that describes what Jesus means by the cross better than any other word. And it's this word, commitment commitment the cross showed the majesty of God's commitment to us when God's son was punched when he was kicked when he was whipped when he was mocked when he had a crown of thorns put on his head and when he was nailed in humiliation naked to a cross to hang there for six hours in humiliated agony he was showing his absolute and resolute commitment to us Not holding anything back. Everything. The cross also shows the Father's commitment to us as well. A.W. Tozer, will you hear this? He said this, For the Father to watch his Son, who knew no sin, be humiliated on the cross. Those iron spikes the Roman soldiers hammered through the hands of Jesus, went right through that wooden cross into the heart of the Father. Oh, what a powerful image. What a powerful image picture but the cross shows the majesty of God's commitment to you and God's commitment to me so when Jesus says take up your cross and follow me I reckon he's asking for our commitment he's absolutely asking for our commitment yes grace is free wonderful grace but grace needs to inspire us to count the cost and should inspire us to commit and give our afresh, our afresh, our all to Him. Band are going to join me on the stage here. And they're going to lead us in a, a final section of, of worship today. But, folks, the goodness of God, the goodness of God calls every single one of us in this place here today afresh to the altar, afresh to the place of sacrifice afresh to the place where we give everything back to him with the challenge, follow me. Follow me. Whether it's for the first time or the umpteenth time, whether it be because of a wrong sense of goodness in our lives or a God that we feel we cannot give up. Whatever. Jesus gave us everything for us 100%. If it was possible to give 110%, he would have done. God the Father gave 100% for us. Totally committed. And you and I are never going to be fully content in our lives until we give him our all. Freedom comes with surrender. There's another paradox for you. Freedom comes with Surrender. When we lay down the gods that often master us and hold us back, maybe for some people it's money, but freedom only comes when we bring those gods to the altar and we say, God, in the light of your infinitely perfect goodness, I'm laying it all down again. I'm giving everything back to you. I'm going to get off this ladder because it's ruining me and it's only going to lead me away from you for time and eternity. I'm going to get myself right. Jesus, I'm giving everything back to you. Can we lay it all down again, folks, and go into the week that's ahead of us, focused, saying, God, I'm going to take up my cross of rest today. And I'm going to go into this week absolutely committed to you because I'm going to live for you. I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to live in the way that you absolutely want me to because you deserve nothing better than to be on the throne of my heart. You deserve everything. You deserve absolutely everything. Everything. I'm going to go into this week and I'm going to store up treasure in heaven because that's the focus we need in our lives to stop the temporal focus of what we're living for for day to day and start building for eternity. Start building for eternity as we take up our cross and follow Him. Can we do it, church? Can we do it? Come on, let's stand and let's give it all back to him at the altar as we worship him, as we adore him, as we give him our all back again. And don't hold anything back because he's good and he loves you. God bless you.